Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, open up to uh, Ruth chapter 2 as we uh, continue our series in the book of Ruth. And as you're doing that, let me just open us in prayer. God, we are amazed at how much you love us. Yet oftentimes when we sing about your love, when we talk about your love, uh, somehow we think about how your love applies to other people and maybe miss how your hand, how your loving kindness, how your care, how your presence is in our own life. As we look at the story of Ruth and Naomi and how your hand was upon them, even when it looked to them as if it wasn't, may we be reminded that your hand is upon us, that you love us, that you're guiding us, that you're working through us in spite of our sinfulness. So I pray that as we look at this story, God, that you would speak to us, and uh, encourage us and lead us, open our hearts to what you have to say to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you weren't here last week, we began a series in the book of Ruth, and uh, just to kind of uh, give you just a little bit of background in case you missed it, uh, Ruth uh, was written during the time of the judges. There was a, a cycle of failure that was going on in uh, the nation of Israel for a period of a few hundred years. And that cycle always looked the same. It, it was started with uh, the people's relapse. They would go back into worshiping other idols or taking shortcuts or, or just not worshiping God and obeying God the way that they should. And so God would bring some sort of ruin upon them. It might be a famine. It might be uh, other countries coming in and, and mixing things up. And then people would go, oh, no, this is bad. And then they would repent. They would call out to God and they would say, God, save us. And God would raise a judge, and that judge would fix whatever the issue was, and there would be a time of restoration. Uh, things were back the way they should be, and they would experience a few years or many years of rest. Usually, it lasted about as long as that judge did, and then they would go back into the, the cycle of this. And so we pick up this story of Ruth that's happening in the time of judges, and they're living during a famine. So we knew that this came in during that time of ruin, right? They relapse, and they're ruined, and they are, are experiencing God's hand upon them. And Naomi's family decides to go and live in Moab to look for work. Now, for us, that was no big deal. We talked about how people move for different jobs. But in God's word, when you move out of God's place, in God's presence, and you go live with what was actually in parts of Judges, one of the ruin that came in, and part of the conflict that Israel always had was with Moab, and so they go, in a sense, go live with the enemy. God is not happy with that, and his hand was heavy upon them. And while the family is over there, the husband dies, and uh, the two sons marry, and then they die. And Naomi hears, hey, they've got a harvest happening back at home, and so I'm going to head home. And so she heads home, her two daughter-in-laws are following her, and she says, why don't you guys just go home? Uh, what, I don't have anything to offer you. And... Uh, one of the daughter-in-laws goes home. Ruth sticks with Naomi, and she comes back with her. We looked at last week, um, not just, uh, we looked at really her repentance. Like, she is repenting, and she is coming to a knowledge of God. And so now we have these two widow women back in, and don't miss this, they're in Bethlehem, okay? And they're living in Bethlehem, and they have two needs at this point, food and family. And that's where we pick up the story in chapter 2. If you follow along on notes, or if you're doing the clicking this morning, um, I'm going to go through all of chapter 2, just kind of looking at it, and then we'll jump over to the notes. So just follow along with me. Chapter 2, now Naomi and a relative, uh, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now let me just say right there, that's just the narrator giving you a little hint that something's about to happen, Okay. Ruth has no knowledge of this. Naomi does, but she's not really even thinking about it. It's not on her radar yet. And so the story is just the narrator's just giving you a little heads up here. You might want to know this. Pay attention. 
And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Now, again, this doesn't seem like that big a deal. Uh, those of you who maybe been around church for a while, maybe you've heard of gleaning. We're going to talk about it in a little bit. Don't worry about it. Um, but, but she's going to go out and she's going to try to get some food. Now, this verse never bothered me until I studied it again uh, recently. Um, there's two people, and one goes to work and one stays home. Now, we talked about last week how some of these stories have been messed up by two different factors. One is the VeggieTale factor. It's these little Christian cartoon things that have been put together where all these stories just kind of work together from some little neat little ending. And the other one is the uh, black hat, white hat that some of us grew up with the old westerns where there was always a good guy and a bad guy. And we have trouble placing any kind of blame. There's just we want everybody in the Bible to have white hats, and some of them had gray hats. And I think this is one of those passages where Naomi's hat's starting to gray a little bit for me. Because in the veggie tale pictures, all these little, um, some of you, this is way dating. If you grew up in church when I did, we had these uh, blue boards with these felt things, and they put the characters on there. And uh, I, as a kid, it was really fascinating to me. And so the Naomi character, I just want, she always looked like she was about 80 years old, and she was kind of bent over, okay? And she was actually a little heavy set, which I think is weird for somebody who named her kids like, remember, uh, weakling and starving, you know, they're two boys. I mean, she... Where did she get heavy set all this all of a sudden? Anyway, and so it made sense to me. Of course, Ruth, you know, went out to work. But but here's the thing: women married much earlier then. They were only in Moab for a little over ten years, and the boys marry, and then die, and she comes back. Some scholars would say Naomi's probably in her fifties. Why is she staying home? I think we're supposed to catch that in here. Why is Naomi, we, we know the answer to it. Because she is bitter. She's bitter. That's what we learned last week. And in her bitterness, she is just sitting there going, okay, God, what are you going to do? She is throwing a pity party. And she's the only one invited. Ruth, that's a good idea. Why don't you go to work? Sounds good. Verse three, I gotta go a little faster. So she set out and she went and gleaned in the fields after the reapers and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. He greeted them and, he, and they answered, the Lord bless you. And so he is, he is greeting them. He is, he is showing favor to them, these people who are out there working. Then Boaz said to, to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? Where, where, did this? where did this gal come from? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite, Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please, this is Ruth speaking, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. And Boaz, he then goes and talks to Ruth. He said, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman, uh, my young women, lest your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Now, Boaz is showing incredible generosity here, incredible kindness. Um, some of the commentators have said, perhaps Boaz is saying, don't leave, because she was thinking about leaving. Maybe when she started there, things weren't going too well, and Boaz showed up and people kind of got their act together. We're not sure. But he says to her, look, don't, if you go somewhere else, it may not be good for you. So you get to work here. I've told people not to hurt you. And feel free to go get some water, make the men draw it for you. 
okay? And so this is wonderful. And uh, she responds, she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes? That you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner. Verse 11, but Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Now look at verse 12, this is important. God's name is not evoked too many times in the book of Ruth. So this is one of those times. He says, Yahweh repay you for what you have done. He says, look, I have heard about how you have shown kindness to your mother-in-law. You've gone above and beyond. And I, my prayer for you is that God would bless you for this. And a full reward be given you by Yahweh, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. That is a, it's just a loaded phrase there. You could look at Psalm 36.7, Psalm 57.1. A lot of times this is just, this is pictured as God's salvation. You've come here to experience God's salvation. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at the mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and, and dip your morsels in the wine. They, they kind of had a, some translations, vinegar. They had like a little dip, like they have sometimes at the Italian restaurants, you know, and you, you cut their bread and you, you get to dip it in there. And he's like, come, dip, dip bread with me. Now, spoiler alert, Ruth is a love story. There's no kissing in it. Chapter three is worse than that, but we'll get to that. When we, we come here and, and if you're looking for the love story, it's like, hey, they're having a meal together. They're dipping bread, right? This, this, they're out, they're having a picnic, okay? But nothing happens. All right, so. So come, verse 14, come eat some bread and, and dip your morsels in wine so she, so she sat beside the reapers and passed uh, to them roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. Now, we don't really think about this. Most of you go to lunch, and you will eat till you're overly satisfied, or at least till you're satisfied. Um, Ruth, we don't really know when her last meal is, was. She was hungry. She had rose early, probably no breakfast. She's been working in the field in the heat of the day, she has worked hard. When, when you see here that this worker has been fed to being satisfied and having some left over, it, you're supposed to be picturing blessing here, okay? She's been blessed. Now, uh, she's uh, also frugal, so she wraps up that little bit of leftovers uh, to share later on. So she is, she is full, and in uh, uh, verse 15, when she rose to glean, she goes back to work. Boaz instructed the young men, catch this, this is great. Let her glean even among the sheaves. Okay, let her, let her reap in the good part, the stuff that we're going to sell later. Go ahead, let her, let her drift over a little bit into the good harvest stuff. Okay, but he doesn't stop there. Don't reproach her. And also, pull some from the bundles and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So now, now he's making his workers kind of leave some behind a little bit. Make it easy for her, okay? So she gleaned in the field until evening, verse 17. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephrah of barley. Now, she, now it's nighttime. She's worked all day. And then what they did is they would take the barley, and there would be some sort of covered on one side, side of the mountain, a little bit of half barn, something like that. And they would heap up all this barley, and they would take like a pitchfork. It was called a winnowing fork. And with the evening breeze coming through, they would push up the, the barley so the chaff, the bad part, would kind of be drifted out by the wind and the heavy grain part would fall. Now, I just was, this is not easy work. Okay, this is heavy stuff. And so now she's worked all day. Now she's beaten out the barley, okay? And it says she gets an ephra. And you're like, I don't know, I have not. I've looked it up several times. She gets about 30 pounds of barley, that after working all day, 
she hefts over her shoulder and hikes back into Bethlehem. Now, just in case you're missing it, she's kind of a stud. I guess that's the wrong word. She's, she's a hard worker, okay? She's awesome. Now, verse 18, she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her her doggy bag from lunch. Verse 19, her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? Like, how did this happen? And, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Okay, like she realizes this isn't a normal day's work for a gleaner. Like you've, you've done, somebody, somebody's helping you. So she told her mother-in-law when, when, um, with whom she worked with, she said, there's this man with whom I work today. His name is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Now, just so you know, we're going to get into this next week, but right now, Naomi's scheming mind is beginning to scheme. If you've ever been around a group of ladies who are matchmaking, yeah, you have. Her mind is a-going right now. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with these young men, lest another field you be assaulted. She didn't seem to mention that in the morning, but we recognize the danger. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. She keeps working. Now, I want to focus in on verse 20. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may the Lord be blessed by the Lord whose kindness. Uh, this word in the Hebrew is hesed, and some of you who've been around for a while know that I'm a total nerd about this word. I love it. And so what I want to look at today is, is praying for God's hesed kindness, seeing God's hesed kindness, and showing God's hesed kindness. So praying for God's hesed kindness, what we need to know in the story is this was already Ruth's prayer from chapter one, or Naomi's prayer from chapter one. In verse eight, when Naomi is talking to her daughter-in-laws, but Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to your, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly. May, may you experience his hesedness. Because that's the way you've dealt with me. May the Lord grant you rest. And so Naomi prayed this. And now Ruth is experiencing it. And in chapter 3, Boaz is going to bring up the solution to it. This story is about God's hesed kindness. So the meaning of hesed, um, it's translated here, kindness, uh, some of your translations, loving kindness, mercy, goodness, favor. Uh, the ESV, of which I'm preaching out of, often translates the word hesed when it's speaking about God, specifically God's hesed love. It uses the word steadfast. Um, God uses that word of himself. In Exodus, it says, um, Moses goes up on the, the mountain and it says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh is a God of merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast, hesed love, and faithfulness, keeping hesed love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. So this word, when it refers to, to God towards us, it is God's loyal love. When it refers to us, in this category, how Boaz is showing kindness to Ruth, or how Naomi is wishing kindness on Ruth, or how Boaz is going to later fix this whole situation, when it involves in that, it's often around this word kindness. And it's his loving kindness, it's God's loving kindness, shown to others to, be, to magnify his glory. Let me just say this again. 
It's God's love that we show to others for God's glory. It's not something you do. You know, we've all done something, and you just kind of think to yourself, I did this out of the kindness of my heart. I'm just a good person. That's not Hesed love. Hesed love is, is it's from God. It's part of God's character. It's who he is. And when we really show that kind of love and kindness to other people, it glorifies God, not us. So understanding God's Hesed kindness, it involves three things. It involves relationship. Here's just one of the things I've been thinking about for a while. It's just so, it, it, it's difficult sometimes to live in the times that we do because we are aware of so many problems, not just around, but in the world. I, I mean, in, every, in any given week, we are aware of famine and fires and shootings and uh, victims and People in, being in all this stuff, it's overwhelming. And yes, the church needs to do things about that. But loving kindness that we're talking about here is in terms of relationship. And it involves an action. It's somebody I know that I act upon to show God's kindness. Now, kindness is not I wish you well, go in peace. Kindness is actually doing something. A while ago, I made a rule in the office. We have people coming to the door all the time asking for all sorts of things. Sometimes we can help them and sometimes we can't. And I, sometimes, you know, oh, you know, we can't do this thing. I'm sorry, we don't do that. We don't give out money or we don't have, you know, housing or whatever it is. And then somebody would say, God bless you. And I would say, let's not say God bless you when we're not helping. You know, that's kind of good luck. God bless you is when we are acting, when we can do something. So it involves relationship, it involves action, it involves time. Okay? It, it's not just giving money. It's giving of yourself. In relationship. So Naomi has prayed for God's Hesed kindness, and yet she's bitter. She's not really looking for it, she's kind of praying for it. Right? And this is where I said in my prayer this morning, it's like sometimes we 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 want God's love, but it's for other people. She's having trouble seeing it for herself. So seeing God's Hesed kindness in others. Again, here's what's happening here. God is showing his steadfast love to Naomi, a woman who is bitter and somewhat angry at God. And to Ruth, who from the context of of first chapter is a brand new convert. She's new to this. God is showing his steadfast love to them through the faithfulness and character of Boaz so that God may be glorified and ultimately his plan of redemption may be filled through Jesus Christ. So again, how, how do we know that this is what's happening? When we come to these Old Testament narratives, we mentioned this next week, I just want to hit it again uh, this morning, we look at it on three different levels. The first is the human level. And, and we, we look at this and we, we know what the needs are. Naomi and Ruth need food and family, probably among some other things. They have a need. And, and they're, 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 they're coming, and Ruth is out working. Naomi's sitting at home bitter, but they have this need. And so we are watching the story unfold. We, we don't always know what God's doing in our circumstances, but we look at God's word, we look at a relationship with him on a personal one-to-one level. Second, there's the divine level. God has a plan. The narrator kind of gave us a clue. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man whose name was Boaz. Key in, God's about to do something. Okay, so God has a plan. We talked about uh, last week that that second level involves community. And we can, we can relate to God on an individual level, but if we don't relate to God on that community level, what God's doing in the bigger picture, we really miss out. 
And yet I also see people kind of want to relate to God on the community level, but aren't dealing with him on the individual level. And that doesn't work out either. And then third, there's this third level where we see the trajectory of Scripture. In other words, God is working out his ultimate plan of salvation through the bloodline, spoiler alert, of Ruth. Ruth is Jesus's great, 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 great grandmother. And he made a promise to Abraham that he was going to be a blessing and that the whole world was going to be blessed. And so we're trying to follow this storyline. And right here we see the trajectory of scripture that God is bringing this all through in this weird situation that's going on in Bethlehem. Right? And it's just all coming together, God's story. Now we have two people here who are experiencing this on an individual level. Ruth and Naomi. They have two needs. Again, food and family. Um, there's two ways that God's kindness is shown to the poor in Scripture. There's more than that, but at least two. One is gleaning. And that's what we experience with Ruth right here. Gleaning. Uh, how many of you have heard of gleaning before? You've heard that. It's a really popular one around churches. So here's, here's the concept of gleaning. Uh, you had a farm. Um, and Boaz had a farm. What did he grow? We already know. Barley, at least barley. And so on the farm, you were supposed to leave the edges free for the poor, the foreigner, and the widow to go and glean some of that harvest so that they had something to eat. People around church love those things because it's a reminder that poor people are supposed to work, right? It's not just not sit and wait. I've heard this. I'm just telling you, I've heard this preached, okay? And so that is true. Now, the problem is people didn't, there's not that many Boazes in the world. And so some people would say, well, I got to obey God. It doesn't say like how much space you have to leave for gleaning or where it should be. And so people often pick the worst part Hardest to get to, least amount. Hey, that's, that's for those people that have to go get it. Boaz wasn't one of those people. But here's something else. And so gleaning, you can read about that in Deuteronomy chapter 24. Also giving. Also giving. In Deuteronomy 14, it says, like, after these harvests, you were supposed to go give an offering. And that offering is to be given to the Levites, who, by the way, don't have fields. Okay, the priests, and that's their portion, and they get to dole that out to people who don't have it. Remember, this is harvest season. Okay, So eventually, the barley is gone, and it runs out. So where do you go then? Well, you go to the church. You go to the synagogue. You go to the temple. You go, you go to where the Levites are, and you say, hey, we need some food, and it was given to you. Okay, I, I want to show that because... You know, we, we want to be generous with what God has given us. And here's another excuse. I've heard this one too. Ah, I love this. I love the whole thing of gleaning, Pastor. This is great, but I don't have a field. I have a nine to five. Okay, here's the thing. The principle is this. You have been given so much to manage. Some of you have been given this much. Some of you have been given this much. Whatever it is, you are to create margins to help others. That's the point. And if you don't create the margins, they won't be there. Okay? Now, there's two responses that, that are to the situation of, of needing food and family. One is waiting. Naomi's waiting. Again, I, maybe, maybe she couldn't work. Maybe she's older than we think. But she's waiting. She's bitter and she's waiting. That's her response. Ruth's response is to work. She's working. Um, and so I would propose to you that the best situation when we are in bad place is to work while we wait. In other words, we work and we wait to see what God is going to do to add to that. Does that make sense? Now, 
Work is not always a popular topic, and so I snuck it into this sermon. Let me give you a, a brief, whoever's doing the clicker, hold it right here. I don't want I, I to, I, I, we're going to have a pop quiz, and I don't want anybody to get the answer without thinking about it. Brief history of working in the Bible, who's the first worker? God. God is the first worker. So God comes and he creates. In fact, it says specifically that the, the earth was formless and void and he made something out of it. At the heart of work is taking chaos and giving it order. Now, I really, I, I really fell in love with this as I studied it. Moms, what does work look like? Taking chaos and giving it some order, right? I'm, wow. I mean, you could apply it to so, gardening. What is gardening? Taking chaos and turning it into order. You could just keep going down the list. Who's the second worker in the Bible? The earth. God says to the earth, produce. Make vegetation. The point of work is to be fruitful. It's to produce fruit. Who's the third worker? Nobody wants to answer now. Adam. Adam is, look, what I'm trying to tell you is that work is in the fabric of the Bible. And there's something, there's, we don't have time to go into this, but when you're in Genesis in the first three chapters and a theme comes up that goes all through the rest of Scripture, you are really supposed to pay attention to it. And what I'm trying to tell you is work starts from the beginning. And so work is in there. And Adam's job now is I want you to keep and to protect. I want you to, to, uh, to expand this and manage this. And there's all sorts of things that we could look at in work. But then sin happens. Sin does is it negatively impacts our work, and listen to this, it negatively impacts our work and our attitude toward work. I want you to catch that. You know, I don't know what it was like before the fall, but Adam planted a seed, and that thing grew. Very little work. It went well. Nowadays, we are in a battle. And you know what? It, it takes hard work. It takes hard work. We have a, a young farmer living with us. Uh, Jam's fiance is staying with us for a while, and uh, he works at a farm over here off of River Road. And, uh, and I always ask him, I said, what, what did you harvest today? And uh, I love to give them a hard time when it's carrots. You know how they harvest carrots, this little farm? There's a tractor of some sort that has like a plow underneath it that goes underneath where the carrots are. And it just... And then the farmers get on all fours and just follow behind it picking up the carrots. And I said, that does not sound fun to me. I don't know how they pick carrots in the garden, but it wasn't that, okay? It just wasn't. And so there's this problem. Let me just, let me just I want you to think through work for a little bit. Let me just give you some verses. We don't have time to camp on them, um, but I, I just want you to hear them. Listen to these um, and, and just think about them. You can look them up later. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. For even when we were with you, Paul speaking, we, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Not, no, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ, do their work quietly and earn their own living. Colossians chapter 3, Paul again, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Whatever you do, do it as if God himself is going to reward you, not your paycheck. 
Proverbs 14, in all toil. Now, it's interesting. There's a word for work in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And then after the fall, there's a new word for work. And it's this word toil. So toil comes after the fall. But the the writer of Proverbs says, in all toil, there is profit. But mere talk tends only to poverty. This is one of my favorite Proverbs because I've met this person several times. They always have a great idea how they're going to make money. They have a plan. They would love for you to invest in it. Have they held a job? No. Do they actually go to work? No. Proverbs chapter 21, the desire of the sluggard kills him. Oh, man. For his hands refuse to labor. Proverbs 12, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Psalm 90, 17, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Work is honored in the Bible. Let's look at Ruth's work here in this chapter real quick. Verse two, she's willing. Let me go to the field. She is, she's willing to work. Okay? Not only is she willing, but in verse seven, we see that she seeks work. She comes and she says, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves. And you said, Dave, you're kind of making kind of a simple point there. Janine and I, uh, we were... Youth pastors, uh, youth pastor of church, and we had this college small group that met in our house on Sunday evenings. And as part of the small group, you know, often asking, how can I pray for you? And so we're sharing prayer requests. This one gal says, will you pray that I find a job? Absolutely. That's a good thing to pray for. Next week, we get together. Prayer requests. Go around. You pray that I find a job. Yeah, I've been praying for you. I want you to know I've been praying for you. Third week. Fourth week, I'm a little slow sometimes. About the fourth or fifth week, I go, time out. I got a weird question. Have you applied for any jobs? No. And I looked straight at her and said, I will not pray for you to find work until you go out and look for work. So apparently, she was willing, she wasn't seeking. Ruth worked hard. Look, gleaning is not easy work. Farming is not easy work. Um, It it is hard work. She worked, we saw this, I tried to emphasize it, she worked from early morning till evening and then into into the evening. She worked hard. She worked in dangerous conditions. I'm just telling you, this, is not a jo- this was not a job you wanted for your daughter. Go work in these fields with these men who are living in the time of judges where everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. There's no laws, there's no rules, especially towards foreigners. It was dangerous. And they all pointed out later, She's grateful for the work. Verse 10, she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes? What's the favor? He's letting her work. When's the last time you thank God for your job? When's the last time you thank God for your employer? When's the last time you said, man, I am so thankful that I get to get down in my broken down car and drive in bad weather to a place that I can't stand (laughs) to work. I'm thankful for that. She's rewarded for her work. I think what the author here is, I mean, I don't know. I've never beat out barley, but 30 pounds 
It's like a lot of barley to me. It gets even more outrageous in the next chapter, you'll see. That's one day. She kept working. She kept working. That's, that's part of it. I just, look, she could have said, hey, we scored. I'm going to take a couple days off. No, she got up early the next morning and did the same thing. And the next day, she got up early and did the same thing. And the next day, she got up early and did the same thing. And she got a Sabbath. And then she got up early the next day and did the same thing until there was no more barley to be harvested. And I'm telling you, I don't think she woke up and went one day, God made me to be a barley gleaner. She went where the work was. Showing God's hesed kindness to others. We ask the question then, who is my neighbor? When we look at the book of Ruth, when we look at chapter 2, obviously my neighbor is family. Naomi and Ruth are in this relationship, we're in this together. And Ruth goes out and works, she brings it home, she brings her doggy bag home, and she is showing hesed uh, kindness to her mother-in-law. Now, Boaz is also showing kindness to a distant relative, but I I just want to say here, he doesn't have to. We're going to look at this in just a second, but she's a Moabite woman and can be treated differently if he wanted to. Nobody's going to think differently of him, but he treats her like family. And so we also have in this story, who is my neighbor? The neighbor could be a foreigner. She's a sojourner. She's not a resident. And the kindness is shown to her. Also, we show kindness to the vulnerable. The widow. The foreigner. The woman. Now, there's a problem in Ruth. And I probably should have waited till next week to deal with it, but I just want to deal with it now. We're following this story, and Ruth and Naomi need food and family. Food is being taken care of. Family still has not. And I told you, spoiler alert, she's the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. She's the great, great grandmother of David. But God forbids that. God in his word said Moabites, were not to be allowed in the sanctuary until like, I think it's seven generations. David cuts that in half. Solomon builds the temple. And so you, you go, what, what, we have a problem here. God said no, and now it's kind of a yes. What do we do with that? In fact, in Deuteronomy 23, just so you know, I'm not making this stuff. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Oh, excuse me, I was even wrong. Even to the 10th generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. David does all these things. Ruth shows great faith in God and loyalty to family. Boaz goes beyond what is required of him. In fact, not just in the giving of food, but Boaz is going to go beyond what is required of him in redeeming. Now, we're going to look at this whole idea of this kinsman redeemer, and basically God provided for women uh, who were widows or or left out because they don't have a family, they don't have anybody to care, and so somebody else in the family was supposed to marry them so that they could have a family and continue the name. God made a way for that. But look, I'm just telling you, if they had a council meeting, nobody's going to hold Boaz required to marry this Moabite woman who Naomi went and picked up in Moab. Moab, you're going to say, you you get a pass on that one. So he goes beyond what's required of him. Look, sometimes it doesn't matter how much you've messed up. If you turn your heart to God, and you are faithful, God will turn his heart to you. And God is saying, look, yeah, there's the rules. But but give me your heart and I'll give you mine. 
I've met people so many times, you know, I just try not to tell them a pastor. Eventually I tell them and they go, oh man, if I went into the church, the, the roof would fall down on me. I don't know what they've done. I don't know what they think God's going to do if they walk into a church. I've, lit- I've literally had people come to funerals. This is, I'm not even joking. People will come to funerals. I'll be standing in the back and they're doing one of these. And I'm like, everything okay? They're like, yeah, I thought it would fall in on me. And I don't know what they've done. But I'll tell you what, sorry. I know a lot of the people that are already in here. And the walls aren't falling in. When we turn our heart towards God, his his loving kindness comes back to us. So there's some lessons learned in Ruth. Don't take God's word lightly. The father and the sons, when they disobey God, what they end up in, in Moab and they die. But don't take God's generosity too lightly. He is offering forgiveness. He's offering relationship. He's offering to bring you in. Respond to him. Showing kindness right here where we are to vulnerable people. How do we show kindness? Just from this text alone, there's others that we could go to. But here's some questions that we could ask ourselves. How do we comfort? How do we give comfort to vulnerable people? Verse 13. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, Boaz, for you have comforted me. How do we give comfort to people who are vulnerable? says, you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant. How do we speak kindly to vulnerable people? This one, this one really hit me. And I'll confess, I mean, sometimes, you know, I'm here at the office by myself. Somebody knocks on the door. They want a bus pass. I go get the bus pass. You know, God bless you. And it's like, I recognize that I don't often speak kindly. Not rudely. How do you speak kindly to somebody who is vulnerable and hurting. You know, one way we do it is by not looking down at them. But by saying, you know what, you're broken and I'm broken. Let's see if we can figure this out together. We open up our hearts. How do we share a meal with vulnerable people? Look, you're supposed to be shocked by the dinner party here, the picnic. What is Boaz doing? First of all, he may not even eat with his workers, let alone the gleaners. And he's not required to bring them lunch. He said, come on over here. I've got some baked bread. Really good dip. Share it with me. When's the last time you shared a meal with a vulnerable person? How do we show generosity to vulnerable people? When she walks out with 30 pounds of barley, you're supposed to go, wow, that's a lot. How do we protect vulnerable people? Hey, don't go work over there. You work for me. It's going to be safer. That's protection. So some application and actions. Where do we find ourselves in the story? Maybe you're here this morning and you're looking for God's hesed kindness. You're saying, I I don't always see God's kindness towards me. And I I just want to say that wherever you are, uh, however far away you've gone from the Lord, wherever, maybe you don't have a relationship with him, maybe you're struggling with it, I I don't know. Maybe it's been a while since you've, you've kindled that relationship. Maybe you're here and you're here on a regular basis, but it just feels kind of dead inside. I I don't know where you're at, but I, I want you to hear this morning that God's loving Loyal love. His committed love is offered to you. And the way that he offered it was in a love story, much like the one that we are reading. And that he loved you so much that he sent somebody to redeem you. And that person is Jesus Christ. And he took the place for you and for me And he bore our sins so that we might be invited to a meal with God the Father 
that we might encounter the rest that Ruth is looking for in a relationship with a God that loves us. And so if you're here, I want you to know that this offer of a relationship and God's love is open to you. If you've experienced that love and you're here and you're going, why in the world are we reading this Old Testament book? Dave, this is old. I want to ask you, are you looking to show God's Hesed kindness to others? Who are you in relationship with that you need to show action towards and give time to? Because God's placed them in your life. And how do you do it for God's glory, not for yours? And then finally, are you looking to work towards seeing God's kindness? In other words, man, when it's given to you, when God's kindness is poured out on you, are you willing to say, oh God, I just saw that. Thank you. Thank you for that. I recognize this person helped me and I know that they did that out of the kindness of their heart but that kindness comes from you. So there's a cycle. God blesses us, we bless others, and God is glorified. That cycle keeps repeating over and over in Scripture. So my question to you is, what are you doing with God's blessings? How are you giving it to others? Let's pray. Lord, thanks for this morning. Uh, Thank you for your loving kindness shown in the person of Jesus Christ, who was born in Bethlehem, who came and lived a perfect life and willingly gave his life for us. His blood shed so that ours would be redeemed, that we might be restored, that we might find rest, So God, we thank you for that. We praise you for the work that you're doing. And God, we pray that we wouldn't just receive it, but that we would seek to give it to others. God, we pray that when we receive it, we would glorify you. Yes, we should thank others, but ultimately, God, the work that you're doing in our lives through other people is for your glory. God, help us to be a part of what you're doing. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.